My title for you this morning is How to Put a Prophet to the Test. How to Put a Prophet to the Test. Let me begin by saying this. Early in the Old Testament and remaining so through to the New Testament, we see the existence of prophets and prophetesses, male and female prophets both. While prophets were far more common than prophetesses, we do see both. A couple of verses that are worthy of note are going to come up on the screen, and they're going to enlighten us as to the purpose of the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25, and Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Beginning in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25, God's word says this, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants. You see that? The prophets to them day after day. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 similarly says this, from the, uh, excuse me, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Suffice it to say, church, that throughout the economy of God's providence and his work in the world, prophets have always played an important role. You see, God made a covenant with his people. And his people agreed to this covenant, we see in Exodus chapter 24. But when his people wandered all out of the way, and when his people broke the covenant that they had agreed upon with God, in the absence of a more complete body of revelation, which we would call the Bible, God would deliver his word through prophets. And in this regard, we would refer to prophets as covenant mediators. In other words, as the people of God wandered off the path that God had put, placed them on, I'm having a problem with peas today. Don't pay any mind to that. God would send the prophets to them, and the prophets would mediate between God and the people, and thus we would call them covenant mediators. Their job was so important, in fact, that they would often preface their messages from God with a formula. Thus says the Lord, or to put it plainly and in the vernacular, this is what God told me to tell you. But God's word is sacred to God's people, amen? And God's word is, of course, sacred to him. And so in the law, God built a provision in case people came along presumptuously claiming to have the word of God in their mouth and the authority of God in their hand. Now, by way of full disclosure, it's important to note that there are still people today who believe themselves to be prophets. And there are people today who do believe that prophets exist. But we have to be specific about what we mean when we say prophet. Sometimes the word prophet is used almost interchangeably with the word preacher. That person has a prophetic voice, some people might say. And in that sense, obviously, there is certainly no harm. But that doesn't satisfy the true biblical definition of prophet. Other times the word prophet is used to signify something more, as is typically the situation Someone might say, that person claims to have spoken from God. 
Or that person claims that God told them to say this to me. That would be closer to a biblical definition of what a prophet is, but this leads to another question. Regardless of what people say, is there a biblical warrant to believe that there are still prophets today? And my emphatic answer is no. There is no biblical evidence to believe today that there are still prophets functioning according to the biblical definition of prophets. Now, there are conservative Christian academics and pastors who believe today that there are still prophets. They believe, however, that those who receive prophecy from the Lord have to test the prophecy against the Word of God because the Word of God is final and the Word of God is authoritative. The problem I have with this is if they have to test it with the Word of God, we're back to the original question. Do we really need prophets? Puritan John Owen said this, If private revelations agree with Scripture, they are unnecessary. And if they disagree with Scripture, they are false. So here we are back in the same situation as we found ourselves. Are prophets necessary or present today? And in my mind, according to the data and according to the historical practice of the church, I would say prophets do not exist today. Nevertheless, prophets were very involved in unfolding the revelation of God in the history of God. We have today the Word of God complete. We have today the sufficient, written, final Word of God. If you want to know what the Word of God is, if you want to know what the will of God is, then you read the Bible. You don't need anyone with tarot cards. You don't need anyone to look up at the stars and tell you according to some horoscope. What you need to do is faithfully read, study, and meditate the Word of God. Nevertheless, as the history of God was unfolding and God was doing His work through prophets, there were guardrails placed among the people of God so that they could ascertain whether or not a prophet was a faithful prophet of God. And this is where we find ourselves this morning, church. Deuteronomy chapter 13 with the title, How to Test a Prophet. So, according to Deuteronomy chapter 13, I'd like you to see two points. The first of which is this. We are to test a prophet's wonder. And number two, we are to test a prophet's word. Again, we are to test a prophet's wonder and we are to test a prophet's word. Let's begin with our first of the two tests this morning. We are to test a prophet's wonder. First of all, we're commanded to test this prophet's wonder, or as the scriptures say, signs and wonders, or we might say the things that they are doing or producing that they are saying demand attention and authority. Let's look at the text again. Deuteronomy chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. God says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, get this church, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you, get this, comes to pass. So this, just is, this isn't just somebody who's, who's saying, you know, I believe and get something right out of a thousand. 
One out of a thousand. This is not, this is not a, a percentage game. God is saying, let's say for a moment that a prophet arises among you and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he gives you does in fact come to pass. But that's not all. If he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not. Listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. A couple of things I want you to note here under this first point, and they are these. First, we have to beware of anyone's signs or wonders. We, as people of faith, as Christians, have to beware of anyone's signs or wonders. I don't know how much you've been burned in life, but if you've been burned any amount of time, I think you probably feel like I do. I don't assume the best in everybody all the time. You might say it's a pessimistic view of People, but I would say it's a realistic view of people. I keep a small circle, and I would advise you to do the same. But there are some people who believe the good in everyone. In fact, they believe the best in people who are strangers who they don't know and who they have had proven very little from. I think... We need to pay attention to the conditional clause that happens at the beginning of this text. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, If a prophet, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and produces a wonder, that is, not when, but if. If this happens, then you will test them. If this happens, then you will test them them. Church, I think it's okay for us to have a healthy suspicion of things. I think it's okay for us to have a healthy suspicion of things. We, sh we shouldn't practice cynicism. I'm not talking about being cynical, but what I'm talking about is something different. God does his work today as he ever did. Amen? God can still work through his people, and God still performs wonders, and God still performs miracles. But God doesn't work exactly the way he does today as he did in the past, because God was performing his acts of miracles and wonders and signs in days past in a different sense and for a different purpose, in part to prove that the word he was speaking was authoritative and reliable. In this case, today, we're being taught something. If the word and sign comes to pass, but the command is, let's go after other gods, then that prophet is a false prophet. We should, first of all, beware of signs and wonders. But second, we are to beware of any signs and wonders that are used to lead us away from the covenant God. And let's say, for argument's sake, that the wonder was in fact legitimate. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy. Even if it comes to pass, 
If the sign or wonder that was spoken of is legitimate, even if it does come to pass, beyond all doubt, it is real, we still have another question to ask. Now, before we get to that question, which is going to fall under our second point, test a prophet's word, I want to spend a moment here bringing something to your attention in case it has slipped your awareness. Church, to say that the standard of whether or not something is believable is a sign or a wonder is dangerous for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that evil is powerful. And Satan is known for working counterfeits for his own insidious purposes. The Apostle Paul once wrote, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And that is to say this. Good deeds, impressive works, large followings are not the standard of measurement for whether or not someone is a so-called prophet or whether or not is, someone is legitimate. There are plenty of people who are performing so-called signs and so-called wonders that as far as our appearance can determine, are real and valid, but they aren't faithful to the gospel. And the reality of the matter is, we aren't to simply test whether or not they can perform a sign, because even the devil can perform a sign. The question that we are to ask is, even if there is a sign, what word is being delivered? Things can be duplicated. Things can be counterfeited. Things can be manufactured and fabricated. We have to believe not only what we see, but what we believe. One commentator offers this clarity. The occurrence of supernatural manifestations does not automatically authenticate the message of the prophet. Don't forget, when Moses performed miracles before Pharaoh, you may be familiar with this text, in Exodus chapter 7, when Moses first started performing miracles before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. Which is to say, church, not that everyone and anyone can do these things, but that there is a power to darkness and to the devil. And that power within the darkness and demonic forces is not something that we should celebrate, but it is something that is sometimes exercised for our deception to lead us away from the gospel of Christ and from the glory of God. And therefore, we have to know this. Amen if you're listening. Theology is more important than signs. Theology is more important than science. You say, well, this guy up the street is doing amazing things. And I saw him lay his hands on somebody and heal somebody. Well, we know that this has become a televised phenomenon. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not. What is their theology? What do they believe? What do they teach about the Trinity? What do they teach about redemption in Christ? You see, there are a lot of people who exist within Christian circles, not because they love divinity, but because they love dollars. 
They're not performing wonders, even if they are performing wonders. For the glory of God, they are doing these things, whatever it is that they're doing, for the glory of their own name, so that they can buy another helicopter or plane or mansion, you name it. Let me say this again. Theology is more important than signs. And so, if someone performs a wonder or dreams a dream, not when, but if, the devil will seek to deceive you. If you see a sign performed, you say, wow, that's a fantastic sign. I think that, at least as far as my eyes can ascertain, this must be supernatural. The next question is, What's the word? If you test the wonder and the wonder is real, you cannot stop there because the signs are not a barometer for the believability of a thing. The theology is. We have to say, what is the word? That's our second point this morning. We have to test the prophet's word. Looking again at the text, it says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you, get it, comes to pass. And then he says, here's the word, church, let us go, people gather, oh my gosh, have you, have you seen the new guy? What's so impressive about that? He has a huge following. Why does he have a huge following? Oh, because he's, he does, he, he's slaying people in the spirit. And he's doing miracles. And some guy was in a wheelchair and suddenly he started walking. Notice this doesn't happen just anywhere and ever. It's always with 20,000 people and a lot of money. I'm going to go to his next conference. I'm going to start buying his books. I'm going to become an acolyte of this person. Okay? So there are wonders, so-called, being performed. Second test. If he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen. I just want to camp out here on the word listen for a minute. Let me offer a couple of synonyms for listen, one of which is entertain. You shall not entertain them. Consider. You shall not consider them. Listen, there are a lot of speakers who are blowing up your television, your radio, your podcast stream, and some of them you have absolutely no business listening to whatsoever. Not because they aren't talented speakers, but because they are talented speakers under the guise of pastor or prophet. They have the name church in the name of their organization, but only because they're exploiting the faithfulness of God's people who believe in the trustworthiness of someone who carries with them the title pastor. And really, they're nothing more than motivational speakers. They're giving you TED Talks. Now, if you want a TED Talk, go listen to a TED Talk speaker. But don't listen to a TED Talk given by a pastor because that's a false prophet. 
This is not my word. This is God's word. God's word says, do not entertain them. Do not consider them. Do not listen to them. Because the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, which suggests to me, church, that listening to false teachers in the very least can cause a division in our spirit with God. We are to test the prophet's word, and this can be found in the latter part of the command. Even if these signs and wonders come to pass, we need to see what word it is that they're giving. In the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, we see something very similarly given to us in verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 say this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And I feel like if I stopped there, it would be sufficient. <laughs> Some of us... Getting back to this issue of questioning everybody, not being cynical, but questioning everybody. That's what John is saying. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Do what? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome the world. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When the apostle says, listens to us, what he's saying is the apostolic authority of the church. We don't listen to just anybody. We listen to the prophets and the apostles as they have been penned and compiled in the book that we call God's Word, the Bible. We don't add to it and we don't subtract from it. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6 say exactly this, that the Word of God's that the word of God is true and he is a shield to everyone who takes refuge in him. Do not add to his word lest you be found a liar. The idea being, church, that God's word is sufficient and authoritative. You don't need anything more. You need to just sit down and be quiet and listen to him from the word. You need to meditate on it, pray through it, study it, familiarize yourself with it, because the Spirit of God inspired this Word. The Spirit of God can do what He needs to with this Word in your life. We have to test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. The Apostles' Creed 
is the oldest form of a creed in the church. It dates back to A.D. 140, which would be just about 50 years after the Apostle John's death. So about 50 years after the last apostle died, there was a compilation brought together of all that the apostles taught, a synthesis, if you will, of the gospel and Christian teaching, and it was called the Apostles' Creed. Author and historian Philip Schaff wrote a book called Creeds and Christendom, and in that book he writes this, and I quote, that the Lord's Prayer is the prayer of prayers. The Ten Commandments is the law of laws, and the Apostles' Creed is the creed of creeds. It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to read it with your eyes as I read aloud. This is what the Apostles' Creed says. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the uh, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Church, that's the Apostles' Creed. And that is, if you will, a synthesis of all that the prophets and apostles taught. So that after the apostle died, John the apostle, the oldest apostle, when it came to an end, the apostolic age, those leaders in the church who were left compiled together what they viewed as a synthesis of what the prophets and apostles taught. And what we have today, dated by approximately A.D. 140, is what we call affectionately the Apostles' Creed. And it's beautiful. It's a a synthesis of our faith. And I don't know any one of us or anyone within Christianity, conservative Christianity, not that there's multiple kinds, but please follow me here, who would read the Apostles' Creed and say, I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I can stand by that. I'm not sure if I can say amen to that. But there are many false prophets today, church. And not only are there many false prophets today, but the Word of God warned us of this and told us that because many false prophets prophets would arise, and because the spirit of Antichrist would precede the Antichrist himself and is already in the world, we are to, John says, test the spirits. If ever there was an age in which testing the spirits must be done, the age is now. There is today a new creed that is being disseminated among church circles a creed that is based more upon a modern word than it is the biblical word. And it's called the Sparkle Creed. I'm going to post it here on the screen so that you can read it. It's not the Apostles' Creed. It's not the Nicene Creed. It's not the Creed of Chalcedon. It's the Sparkle Creed. And it goes like this. 
I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child. I'm uncomfortable even reading this, to be honest with you. But I'm going to read it because you need to hear it. Norman Geisler said this, you can't beware if you're not aware. You need to know what the enemy is doing. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic. This is so stupid. And had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I'm so uncomfortable right now. (laughs) I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Church. This is straight from the pit of hell. This belongs in no place other than the sewer. This is horrible. But it was a pastor who read this as the church stood and read it with her in unison. We have to be aware and awake. We must be fixed and focused. We cannot play idly while the enemy is going about performing signs and wonders to attract ignorant people whose hearts have been darkened by him because they will not put a test to the word. There are people who foolishly believe because the word church is outside of the building. It's the same as any. And it simply is not so. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And these forces, these spirits, church, they are real. We are at war. If the voice they hear is amazing, but it doesn't lead to Jesus Christ, it's false. If the sign that they witness is amazing, but it doesn't lead to Jesus Christ, it's false. If the dream some dreamer is, in, is dreaming is incredible, 
but it doesn't lead to Jesus Christ. It's false. If the prophetic word even comes to pass, but it doesn't lead to Jesus Christ, help me out, it's false. There is no equivocating on this point. You are either for Jesus Christ or you're the Antichrist. You are gathering with them or you're scattering abroad in the gospel. There is no neutral ground. You are for Jesus or you are against Jesus. And at this point, it's so serious. As God tests his people, their love for him, their commitment to him, their obedience to him, it's so serious that he says in verses 5 and 6, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, I love America. Today we celebrate our independence. But we're in a bit of a mess. And less because of our constitutional rights and more because the church has compromised her responsibility. It was not George Washington's job to make our country what it's supposed to be. It was ours. So we thank God for the United States of America. We thank God for our liberties and our freedoms, but we don't use our liberties and our freedoms as an opportunity to get fat and lazy. Pick a fight. Have a conversation with somebody about the glory of God. Our president, for the month of June, hung a pride flag at equal height with the flag that is supposed to fly at equal height with no other on the White House. They don't care what you think. He's not interested in you. He's a politician playing politics. How about if you focus on being a Christian who focuses on Christ. Take advantage of the freedoms and liberties that you have in our country, and thanks be to God, the Supreme Court protected those liberties this week. It is your right. It is your right to speak the name of Jesus Christ loudly and clearly and the principles of the gospel in the public forum. It's not only your right, it's your responsibility. Now, because we have afforded to us by our Constitution these rights, we don't put false prophets to death today. <laughs> we have, in a sense, given allowance to the rise of false prophets because they have just as much right as anybody else. And in so doing, we have a plethora of false prophets to choose from today because we don't put them to death anymore, but we should put them to death verbally. 
by way of argument, by way of scripture, which is authoritative and final, by way of conviction. One commentator says that the reason for capital punishment here is, quote, the seriousness of the crime. Remember, Israel was a theocracy. They had no king at this time. Their king was God. God gave them the law. Here's the law. Obey the law. America is not a theocracy. We're not even close to that. But as a church, we still carry about the scriptural responsibilities that God has given to his people. Another commentator adds this, he must be put to death, that false prophet, so that others may live. He is not leading the people into God's presence by his pretentious revelations. He is deliberately causing them to turn from the way in which God had commanded them to walk. You see, God takes false religion seriously And he wants his people to be faithful to him, knowledgeable of him, and obedient to him to such an extent that so-called prophets aren't the only ones getting a test. God's testing his people, too. God is testing us, family. And he's testing us to see whether or not we would be more infatuated with a sign or wonder than we would be with the theology that is found in his word. To close, let me say this. God has given us the guidelines that qualify or disqualify prophets. And those guidelines are found in the word of God. Are there prophets today? I will allow you an inch of latitude on this topic, but I think emphatically not. God has said what he wants to say. Will you read what he has said? We have the word of God, and it is sufficient. It is final, and it is authoritative. So let us read it. Let us study it. Let us pray it. And let us live it. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful today to celebrate our country's Independence Day. Lord, help us to remember the blood, sweat, and tears that was shed for the freedoms that we so often take for granted. But let us not take these freedoms for granted anymore and use them only for our country's sake. Let us use these liberties for your kingdom's sake. Help us to remember that as great as our country may be, your kingdom will always be greater than any country or kingdom that has ever existed. Help us to focus first and foremost on the fact that we are citizens of your kingdom before we are citizens of anything or anyone else and help us to live in accordance with that principle. Lord, as signs and wonders abound, help us to remember that the evil one performs many false acts to deceive us and lead us away from the cross of Jesus Christ. So help us to test not only signs and wonders, but also word. And if the word, regardless of the sign, 
doesn't lead us to Jesus, then help us to have the conviction to call it what it is, false. Theology is more important than science. And your theology is found in your word, the Bible. So help us to study it, to pray it, Jesus' name.